Hey, I want to thank you for joining me again on God Size Living, the podcast. I'm going to pick up this week where we left off last week. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, it's kind of fun thinking about the relationship between two things. We, we started talking last week about uh, the Tower of, of Babel. And what I want us to see is we can look at Babel both as a physical place that we can locate geographically and we should locate it geographically because of its connectivity to Babylon, the setting for the book of Daniel. We should. But we can also look at Babel in a second way. We can look at Babel uh, as kind of a symbol for the fact that as human beings, uh, we are tower builders, that we're, we're actually born into this world with a desire to, to build our, our own towers to heaven, to be our own gods. And even after we come to faith, uh, Martin Luther so aptly teaches, there's that part of us, that old Adam, that consistently is just seeking our own way. We're, we're trying to say, okay, God, I know you have a blueprint for my life. Uh, you want me to, to head in a particular direction, but you know what? I'm not sure I like your direction. So out of my way, I'm building my own tower. Now, last week, um, I connected this thinking to some terminology used by an author by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, Harari is an interesting writer, uh, a, a brilliant writer, really. But he, he introduces this, this theme of amortality in his book, Sapiens, and then uh, after that in his book, Homo Deus. Um, and what he's talking about is, I think, very relevant to this idea that as human beings, we come to believe that we have it within our own power to eliminate death and to be our own gods. So I want to pick up uh, this week and just talk a little bit about uh, the, again, the physical place, Babel, and then let's connect it to Babylon and move from there towards really rounding out our, our understanding of how, in, in some senses, we all become tower builders. So we had asked the question last week, where, where do you find uh, the Tower of Babel? So in 1917, Robert Coldaway uh, led an excavation into what is now modern-day Iraq, uh, probable, probably the, the site upon which the Tower of Babel was built. Uh, many people believe that if you could sit in Saddam Hussein's old um, fortress and look out the back windows, you would be looking upon the very site where the Tower of Babel was built. So cold away in 1917, uh, during his excavation, discovered a steel, um, which had been divided into three pieces. Uh, the steel traced back to the time of, of guess who? Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the first king that we meet in the book of Daniel. And, and on this steel, Nebuchadnezzar is actually featured, the king of Babylon. Uh, and his, his story is, is kind of an interesting one. On, on this steel, Nebuchadnezzar is proclaiming his, his own victory in restoring a tower or a ziggurat, as they would call it, that had been abandoned by an earlier king. Now, this tower, according to Nebuchadnezzar, sought to reach into the heavens. 
But whoever, he says, whoever had been building this tower had been cut short by some natural calamity. Now, I want you to stop and think about this in both physical and spiritual terms. Here's what we're discovering, that, that a group of humans were, in fact, we can, we can demonstrate this uh, historically, were, in fact, seeking to build a tower that would reach into the heavens. And I want to say that because you, you get on a site like Wikipedia, and it suggests that, that this whole thing is just a, a, a mythological story to kind of explain away the variation that we have in languages today. No, it's, it's not just a fictitious story. It's actually written in stone. Uh, this steel in, in stone actually tells us that no, Nebuchadnezzar, real, real figure, demonstrable historically, found this tower and said, hey, whoever was building this thing, they, they started building it. It looks like they got a good ways up towards the heavens and then something shut them down. So we learned that there, yeah, there, there actually was a, a tower. Now its structure was that of a ziggurat. So if you're not familiar with this type of architecture, it's, it's one that's somewhat like a pyramid uh, in that the structure ascends upward from a broad base, if you picture a pyramid, but it's different in that it also includes larger flat floors at intervals moving upward through the structure. So to use other words, the builder would build several upward moving floors and then stop and build a little bit bigger, larger floor that would act like another base upon which the next layer of upward moving floors would be built and so on and so on. So picture it as a, as a, as a pyramid, yes, but with floors that uh, extend outward and allow, allow you to, to kind of build upon that particular floor. Now, now here's what's significant. The steel of Nebuchadnezzar what is it doing? It's, it's collaborating what scripture teaches that yes, there was a tower of Babel. That tower really did get disrupted. We know Nebuchadnezzar did not, but did get disrupted by God just the way it's described in the book of Genesis. After which, of course, Nebuchadnezzar himself took up restoration of this tower. So we can see it. Where is the Tower of Babel located? Answer, it's located where? In ancient Babylon. That the very site at which the book of Daniel takes place. Today, modern day Iraq. That's where we are. But I also want to get deeper than that because I want us to see that more than its physical location, Babel is is a symbol for something located within each one of us. Deep within the recesses of our human hearts is a desire to do what? To do what the people of Babel were doing. They, they wanted an upper hand on God. They wanted to say, no, you know what, God, I, I don't think that you, you're going to be our God. We're gonna, we want to take matters into our own hands. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but as you come to the end of chapter 7 in Daniel, there's a couple of lines that stand out that I believe express this truth. In verse 23 of chapter 7, Daniel's describing how the kings of the earth, and in particular one king, will two two things. Number one, they will wear down the saints like garments, and number two, they will intend 
to change the times and the laws. I'm going to read these words. This is Daniel 7, verse 25, and then we're going to pray, Lord, for your discernment. God, would you give us that discernment? All right, let's, let's read this. He, that is some political ruler, will speak words against the Most High. I'm going to stop for a minute and recognize we've seen this throughout history. Political regimes that speak outwardly against God. Uh, we saw it in Russia with Lenin and Stalin, again in China with Mao Zedong. And honestly, I wonder if we don't see this to some extent, even in our own country, America today. When leaders of a country create or express support for policies that clearly stand against the things of God, what are they doing? They are speaking against God. Hear it again. Daniel says a time will come when men or leaders speak words against the most high. Now, let me continue. The scripture says, quote, and they will wear out the saints of the Most High, end quote. That is, those who follow Jesus will be pushed down and pushed down and pushed down to the point where many of them just be, give up and begin to become just like the world around them. I think we're seeing that today. And now listen carefully to these next words. This is important. Just listen to these words, quote, they shall think to change the times and the law, end quote. I want you to get that. What are men doing here? They're building a tower. Not a literal tower, but a tower nonetheless. It's a tower of hubris, pride, that says, God, we are in control of the times and we're in control of your laws, both those of nature and those that have been given to govern life. We'll set our own times. Now, as I read this, I hope you can discern what's happening. It brings us back to our word, a mortal. God, you don't set our times. Your laws of nature can't confine us. Your laws of death can't define us. We'll make our own way. We have science. We have medicine. We have technology. We built a tower, and it will reach into the heavens, and we will be our own gods. I'm telling you, I, I read these words, and I shudder because I can almost hear our nation's leader during the pandemic, and many of our leaders expressed outwardly this sentiment. They would say, quote, it isn't prayer that will save us from this virus. It is science and technology, end quote. I hear those words just like I hear the word amortal today, and it sends chills down my spine. Why? Because it is in a man's heart. We want to be God. We will build a tower that reaches into the heavens. But then God shows up. We're at the beginning of chapter 8 in our journey through Daniel. I'm not going to read very far here, but I want you to catch what's going on. While chapter 7 ends with men's hubris and pride, chapter 8 begins by turning the spotlight on what God is doing. The words read as follows. Quote, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. After that, which appeared to me at first. And I saw in the vision, when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. End quote. That's Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Here's what I want you to hear. All the way back to the time that Belshazzar was serving as a co-regent of Babylon, God had a plan for the tower the men were busy building. Babylon saw itself as invincible, undefeatable. 
It was restoring the Tower of Babel. It had built for itself a city whose reputation, like the Tower of Babel upon which it stood, reached to the heavens. No one can defeat us. Our city is a fortress, untouchable by men. Ha! By men, maybe, but not by God. In chapter 8, Daniel begins with a dream in which he finds himself in ancient Persia. You know why? Because God was telling Daniel something. He was telling Daniel, I am going to knock that tower down. And he does. So let me, let me ask you this. What, what does this scripture have to do with you and me? I actually think it's easy for us to read a scripture like the one in front of us from a distance. That is, we read it like spectators. When we posture as a spectator, we sit on the sidelines and we yell, go God, get them, tear that tower down, just like you tore Babel down, tear the walls of Babylon down. Well, historically, guess what? God does that, but we forget something. It's not why the Bible was written. It's not why the stories of the Bible are told. No, they're told to remind each one of us that there really is an old man inside of me, inside of each one of us, who's holding the blueprints for our own towers. We want to live life our way and in our time and according to our terms. And I've, I've actually come to believe that it's stories like this one that are, are actually written to confront that old man and to raise questions that are worth spending time thinking about. So read this old story again. There's three questions that I believe it raises for each one of us. I wanna close with these, and I hope that each of us will spend a little time considering what is going on deep within the recess of my heart, of my being. What towers am I building? So here they are. Question number one, am I aware of the old man at work deep within me? Sometimes I think we fool ourselves into believing that. Well. Because I'm a Christian, my life has completely changed. Uh, we can actually believe that stories like Daniel's don't apply to us, but they do. They're about us. They're about a war that goes on within us, a war in which our old man seeks power over the new that God's trying to shape us into. I believe it's important to both acknowledge and seek to be aware of what that old man is up to inside of me, which leads to the next question, number two. What towers Am I trying to build? What towers are you trying to build? Where, where in your life are you trying to tell God, I've got a plan? Where am I saying to him, I'll call you when I need you. Otherwise, God, stay in your lane. In what ways am I telling God, this is my plan without really even seeking to know what his is for me? Again, are there some towers, his blueprints I'm holding in my hands right now? Number three, finally, what would it look like to surrender those blueprints into God's hands, to put down your plans and to seek out his for you? I'm always impressed by the way St. Paul throughout his epistles is forever seeking to follow the lead, not of, of himself, but of the spirit. There's multiple times as you read through Paul's epistles where people tell him he needs to go one way. And you know what? He actually op acts the exact opposite way. You know why? Because he's that in tune with the Spirit of God. I'm going to be honest here. There's so much noise in our world and in our lives. Sometimes I think it gets hard for us to hear where God, where that Spirit is leading us. So I want to get real practical. This week, why not take a 15-minute block of time, so somewhere in the week, 
Now, I can do a lot with 15 minutes. Put it in your calendar as an appointment. My appointment with God. Tell people, I got an appointment. I want you to go somewhere where you can get very quiet. I want to encourage you to take those 15 minutes and ask yourself these three questions. And be prepared to surrender your blueprints into the hands of God. Let go of them. And allow Him to place His blueprints into your hands instead. Well, that's all for this week. Again, I so appreciate you being a part of this podcast. I I do pray it's a blessing for you. I continue to lift you up in prayer along with your families. And thank you for lifting my family up as well. Listen, God's blessings to you. And until next week, have a God-sized week.